Welcome to From the Valley Podcast, episode 64. It's uh, Wednesday, the 18th of September 2019, Brisbane Business Life. And uh, here today on the podcast, we've got Nigel Hendy. Uh, Nigel from uh, Tui Reid. Welcome along to the podcast, Nigel. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for having me, mate. And uh, I must say, it's a a water bag and a lunch job to get out here today, but the amount you pay for for these interviews, mate, it's, uh, it's fantastic. It's worthwhile. Pay for them. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but yeah, Nigel, I guess where we, where we sort of start off with uh, is getting finding a bit, a bit about your background. So whereabouts were you born? Where did you come from? Where did you get up to early in life? What? Yeah, sure, mate. I, um, you know, I, I was born in Nottingham in England, so Robin Hood okay. country, um, and uh, spent the first four years of my life there. Um, and so didn't really know much about that that sort of st- the side of my life, you know. Um, mm-hmm. My parents brought me out to uh, to Australia. I've got um, uh, two older older brothers, um, yep. both three and six years older than me. So okay. very fortunate so to be. Baby? Yeah, I'm the youngest, mate, and I, uh, you know, I suppose every, everybody always says the little one always gets all the all the, the love and affection. So, yep. um, you know, but I, I hey, I never saw that in my mind, but. Um, Anyway, uh, yeah, so we, we came out in, in 1970. Um, I suppose they call it the 10 pound poms. Yes, um, Robert mentioned that. And uh, <laughs> so we, uh, we were very fortunate, I suppose, and, and then resided in Adelaide. But the, a, bit of a bit of a background story, if I can, mate, just Go about yeah. um, something very interesting that happened to my, my mum and my grandparents over in England. Um, and, you know, I suppose any which way you look at it, but if, if this. Uh, situation had changed. I wouldn't be here. Neither yeah. would any of my brothers or, or our families. So um, anyway, they this is this is back in the forties with the Second World War, mm-hmm. and um, when the Germans were were heavily bombing London and England, and yeah. uh, they uh, they they were in their their little house. And my my grandfather used to be an avid gardener, and yeah. um, so they had little little veggie patches out the back and all that sort of stuff in this in this little country town of Chilwell yep. um, in, uh, in in Nottingham and um, you know the, the Germans come over they're dropping all the bombs <coughs> and um, they hear this this bomb whistling and I suppose you know I've, I've listened to the actual sound that a bomb makes when it's coming and it's it's quite eerie as it gets louder and louder it sort of whistles louder and louder and you can almost tell where it's coming you know mm-hmm. so it, it was definitely being directed at their their suburb their street um, they felt their house okay. and uh, it was getting louder and louder so basically they bunkered down underneath the kitchen table so there's my grandmother, my grandfather and and my mum uh, hiding under the kitchen table at this time this thing's getting louder and louder and at the point of when you think it's sort of going to be all over uh, and she vividly remembers this I think she would have been about 8 at the time um, a massive <laughs> big thud and nothing and basically what happened was the bomb came down, landed in the backyard of their property, mm. in the the potato patch where my grandfather had dug all mm. the ground over for the uh, for the potatoes, mm. and um, and didn't go off. Yeah. So, you know, extremely extremely lucky, and evacuated the whole suburb and that sort of thing. You know, for, for that, um, and uh, and and hence I'm fortunate to be here. Well, yeah, yeah. we can always count our lucky stars, can't we? Yeah. In a in a, in a way, so. It's interesting. Yeah. Interesting. And so then we, we moved to um, to Adelaide uh, when we first moved here. And so you were um, four or five then? I was four. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, then moving the whole family uh, overseas, a, a four, a seven and a, mm. a, a ten-year-old, um, yeah. ended up moving to Adelaide and uh, and stayed there for the majority of my life. Yeah. Um, 
went and made a lot of friends down there, beautiful beachside suburb of uh, Marino Rocks. Um, so had the access to the beach all of our lives. Um, that was basically how we lived. Marino Rocks, so where is that close to? That's um, sort of uh, north of, or south of Glenelg. So I know where Glenelg is, that's sort of on the outskirts of Adelaide there. Yeah, right on the beach. So remember, it's a lovely place, Glenelg. Yeah, and it's sort of about, I suppose, probably, oh, it'd be probably 10 k's, 10 or 12 k's south of, of Glenelg. Mm. Um, so I guess, did you sort of, as a youngster, what did you get sports that you get sort of into in Adelaide? Mate, I was, I was into a lot of stuff. I suppose having a grandfather from England who was a very big fan of, of football. My grandfather had polio, so he didn't, he didn't play a lot of sport. And my father yep. wasn't probably a very avid sportsman. He was a boxer in the Air Force. That was about as far as uh, his sporting career goes. And we mm. certainly felt that when, whenever we did the wrong thing, we, we saw the boxer the speed come out of him when he'd give you a clip around the ear, you know. Um, and um, yeah, so I, I got into soccer quite heavily um, mm -hmm. as a young kid through school um, and then played uh, uh, for a club, a great club, mm -hmm. and, uh, and did quite well. Then, then I got into motorbike racing. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so that was my big, my big thing there, racing uh, motocross, supercross in the stadiums. Yep. Um, you know, the, the uh, under lights, that sort of thing. Four, four jumps. Um, Wouldn't look, expect that looking at you. A, a few broken you bones, you know. But you never know. Yeah, and, and I suppose that's that adrenaline thing, you know. I'm always been up for anything that's um, adrenaline, um, you know, associated mm -hmm. uh, in sport. So um, played a little bit of, uh, of rugby, but um, yeah, mainly it was just the, it was the motorbike racing and, um, and you know, and herping around on our push bikes for, for mm -hmm. a number of times. Yeah. Cool. So, no, what about uh, all sports that you sort of got into, like uh, soccer or yeah, soccer, AFL? Yeah, soccer was big. Um, I mean, we you know we always we always used to watch the um, the AFL. Um, supported Glenelg as a as a um, opposing Port Adelaide um, down in the local SANFL sort of teams, and uh, you know often saw the went to the grand final at Footy Park there, um, yep. which was which was great. You know, all of us all of us kids from school, um, we we head down there and, uh, and and catch the games and then the grand finals and, and run a muck around Footy Park, um, you know, get into a heap of trouble, which was as kids do, you know. Yeah. Cool. So um, so how long did you sort of spend in Adelaide? But, um, as <coughs> How long did you live there until you sort of looked for somewhere else to move to? Yeah, well, that was probably the majority of my life down there, mate. It was about, um, I, I, I think it was till I was 38. Okay. Um, I probably thirty six, I think, and um, I met my wife when when I was twenty twenty eight, and she was nineteen. Um, yep. And we've been together ever since. So we just had our fifteen year wedding anniversary. I think we've been together nearly twenty three years. Um, yeah. <coughs> and the job I'm in is a relationship and communications manager. So maybe I do know a little bit about some relationship stuff there it worked out quite well for me yeah, obviously business relationships I guess with business though yeah yeah and and you know I mean it's all the same thing it's all about being open and communicating and uh, and, yep. and being in partnership you know so yep um, yeah so lived down there till that time went through school worked down there um, my wife had a bit of a premonition about living in Queensland and she went to a as um, a psychic and this okay. lady actually said to her this before I met her she said to her you're going to end up with two kids and you'll be living in Queensland and I sort of a bit skeptical about those sort of things you know they and always sort of I mean that, that can sort of 
Yeah, I don't know what I, it's. It's always hard to think what I think about skeptics and what uh, the John Edwards of the world. And there's obviously a bit of uh, bit of uh, voodoo going on. I think. Yeah. Uh, to a degree, but I agree. Sometimes there's a lot of guessing that just ends up being right. Don't wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I, I agree too, mate. But no, and and obviously some of the things is that they've they they ask a lot of questions, and depending on what answers, you can generally give a bit of an idea, but. I suppose this was she. She is a bit like myself, a bit, bit sceptical. But talking to this one, she she found that it was um, you know she didn't give anything, um, any ideas of, of what she wanted to do, and uh, yeah. hey, you know it could it could be just just a coincidence. But um, uh, you know here we are in, in Queensland uh, in '98, moved up here to look after a friend's place, ended up staying, and um, two two beautiful boys uh, now 15 and 12. Um, they were born both born at the um, at the Royal Brisbane. And um, you know, great kids. I, I, I think with any any of your kids, mate. If when you got kids, if a testament to what you do is when they stay at other people's houses, their their mates' places or whatever, you go and pick them up, and the and the parents are always commenting on on how well behaved your kids are, and they're always polite and um, yeah. you know. And I think I think that was a big thing of how my father treated us and brought us up is to show respect and respect mm-hmm. your elders. Um, and be polite and uh, you know a um, couple of situations I've seen where you know you, you do the right thing by your dad and he's as a youngster and, and he's, he's that proud he's almost got a tear in his eye and I, mm. I've, I've strongly felt that with mine too you know that they, um, they do some things that are un, un sort of provoked or uh, unsolicited and, uh, and, and it brings a bit of a, a tear to your eye that um, you know that they're, they're such good kids. Mm. So just have a bit about your background. You, you did uh, do some stuff. But you did uh, study at UQ for a couple of years as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, well, I, I, I did a little bit there, mate. But I, what it was, I actually ran the Staff and Graduates Club okay. at uh, the St. Lucia campus okay. um, at UQ there. So I did a bit of study while I was there, but it was mainly mainly work-related. Uh, is It was my association with them um, and had the opportunity to do a bit of study in, in marketing. Um, but um, that was that was a that was a good good little gig there, you know. It was um, a split shift, so you were over at the St Lucia campus. It was quite mm-hmm. a nice place, and I'd often jump in the pool and do a bit of bit of swimming in in between the the shifts. And um, or if I started late, you know, around ten o'clock, you sort of jump in the pool early. Mm. Um, beautiful surroundings there, and and of course, you know, when you're running a place like that, you sort of get access to some cheap wines and uh, good mm. quality stuff and and some good food. Excellent. So you got to keep up the exercise. So I guess uh, of all the uh, all the jobs that you sort of have had in your career, uh, Nigel, which one sort of giving I guess gave you the, the base for I guess as a stepping stone for for where you're sort of currently taking things. Yeah, I I've I sort of really enjoyed, and I suppose it's one of those things that you sort of get into and you don't realise where it's going to take you. But you know, 13, 13, 14 years ago now, fifteen years ago, I was. Um, uh, Running a rollador company and uh, and a temporary fence hire company, and um, as a GM and and we used to sort of have a bit of connection with um, with Woolies and Coles um, doing the trolley collection and yep. um, the there used to be some kids there that would, would be working there and they had they were, they were had disabilities so they they had learning disabilities uh, physical disabilities mental health issues yep. and I met this guy. Um, and uh, when I was went down to see one of the kids one day, and I met this guy Rick Stabley, and um, you know if you ever meet someone and you think 
that you've met this guy before, you know him, you've known him forever, you know, it's almost like a blood relative that you've never seen. Right. You get that yeah. sort of feeling. Well, I got this feeling with this guy and anyway, I used to help out with these kids a fair bit and, and he said to me one day, he said, mate, if you're ever looking for a job, um, the way that you are with these kids, if you're ever looking for a job, let me know because you'd be great in this industry. And so I found out a bit more about what he did and it was sort of like um, a support for uh, a disability employment service. And um, so it was... Uh, no, it was a, epic or...? Epic, yeah, yeah. yeah government funded. And, um, and private owned, but government funded. And, mm-hmm. and uh, anyway, so I saw him there and he was in his cut-off jean shorts and <laughs> his polo shirt with the, with the logo and he had a brand new Falcon, you know, it's looking quite nice and got paid a, a reasonable dollar uh, yep. in those days. And uh, anyway, so the sort of... Where I was working was was heading a bit south, and um, didn't you know? I had a uh, my wife was pregnant at the time, and sort of felt that the hours I was doing wasn't really conducive to a, a young family coming along. Yep. And so I gave gave Rick a call, and I said, "Mate, I'm interested in you know having a having a look at this and see where it goes." So he um, he put it to the GM. They come back, mate. The offer was there, and and started with this company. And I you know had the had a young boy. And it was fantastic because it was a Monday to Friday thing. Mm. Um, no weekend work. Um, the hours were the hours. It was quite low stress, and mm. you were giving back to the community so much because mm. you were helping these kids. You know, and yep. that, that was fantastic. It gives you a really good feeling. And um, anyway, it sort of uh, stayed in that industry, and uh, all of a sudden, um, between there, moving back to Adelaide for a period of time in the same industry, working for a company down there yep. called Finding Workable Solutions, coming back to Queensland got a job back again with Epic, mm. that opportunity. All of a sudden, my son's turning 13, yeah. and uh, and I've been in the same sort of industry and role for that period of time. Mm. And it's sort of like a bit of a wake-up moment for myself, thinking, well, I'm getting close to, you know, I'm on the 50 mark. I've got to start thinking now about retirement. Um, mm. As you should do, yeah. Yeah, and, and what, you know, I mean, it's, it's really nice having all that life, that, that sort of work-life balance stuff there, but the money wasn't huge, mm-hmm. um, and and I thought it's probably time yep. now to start giving back to myself a little bit, and that's what led to that sort of change of industry and um, you know. But but being in a situation where I can still have that empathy with people uh, and help yep. people and give back. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, and that's that's interesting. So that's I guess uh, where I guess the platform I guess is where you're sort of taking your career from mm-hmm. on. Uh, tell us a bit more about, um, I guess, some of the other jobs that you may have had over the last 15, 20 years, I guess, that 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 have been interesting, any sort of interesting yeah. things that you've learned. And, well, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could tell you a, a seven-year stint in Adelaide there. I, I worked as a bouncer for... Um, for uh, various nightclubs and uh, it was a group so of... So how long ago was that? Oh, that's, this would have been probably... Oh, it would have been uh, early 90s. Okay, so going back to the 90s. Yeah, yeah. 90s of... Um, yeah, um, up to up to sort of early 90s to, to just probably to 98 when we left, left yep. Adelaide. Um, and it was good. It was, you know, different sort of um, setups back then, you know. It was a bit more like the old coppers, you know. It yeah. was a... You'd sort of... Guys would, guys would stuff up and you'd give them a bit of knuckle or whatever yeah. and, uh, you know, they'd send them on their way and they'd come back a couple of weeks later with their tail between the legs and yeah. and behaving themselves and, and making sure that, you know, no one else would sort of do anything wrong in the group. So mm-hmm. it was good. It was a group of, group of us guys that were all really close friends and I suppose that that almost is like that... Um, 
you know, the, the armed forces camaraderie yep. that you've got. You know, you get it with the with anything like the police forces and the army, the air force, any of those yeah. sort of um, close knit sort of uh, groups. Uh, it, was, it was very much like that. You you, you knew everyone had your back, mm-hmm. and everybody was there. Um, to to look after a place and and keep it safe for everybody. Yep. Um, it wasn't you know had a big chip on your shoulder and go in and you just wanted to bash everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose that was um, th- you know there's some some pretty funny um, sort of times that we went through there you know in that period of mm-hmm. of, of sort of uh, you know meeting different different people and different situations and yep. and learning to handle all that sort of stuff you know. Yep. Um, very rarely did you need to be in many fights at all. It was more about you know discussion, talking, um, mm-hmm. you know, working out situations. Yep. Um, and uh, you know had its fair share of times, but um, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. it was, I suppose the uh, they always say the, um, the the good looking one is the one you got to watch out for. It's like boxing, you know, the guy with the straight nose is the one you got to be careful of, mate, because he yeah. he hasn't been hit too many times. So uh, pretty similar sort of situation. Yeah. What do you sort of do as far as hobbies at the moment, Nigel? What do you sort of get up to? Um, the kids keep me pretty, pretty um, full on. Mm-hmm. You know, I've got a, um, uh, I do uh, a bit of diving, um, mm-hmm. scuba diving. Um, yeah. We went and did the um, the eye fly the other day. Uh, yeah. The indoor indoor skydiving. What's that like? It's it was pretty good. I I was uh, my wife didn't like it. She she gets a bit claustrophobic, but she um, she couldn't uh, she didn't like it too much at all. But um, we had a couple of flights each, and um, my my youngest one, he, the eleven or twelve year old, he's uh, he took to it like a duck to water. Um, mm. My oldest one's a little bit more conservative. Um, he's a bit more uh, risk averse, you know. He'll, he'll mm. sort of check everything out. But um, so they, the little one had a, an opportunity to have an extra flight because um, my wife didn't want to do her second one. So um, because it was my little one's third flight, the instructor said to him, uh, instead of standing at the doorway and we'll sort of lead you in. How about you run and you can jump in, mm. and um, so he was. Yeah, it was it was amazing, you know, mm. to to have that. I suppose the closest thing you have to jumping out of a plane without without the risk. Yeah. Um, but um, the instructor said to me, uh, he said, um, "Oh, do you want to do you want to take you up to the top? The thing's about I think it would be probably what six meters high or something like that, yep. five six meters in the tunnel, and you're sort of only about um, between six inches and um, three foot or two meters off yep. the, or a meter off the ground yep. at any point you know and uh, and he said oh if you want we can take you up the top so I said oh yeah I'll have a, have a crack at that and I thought he was just going to sort of take me up there and yep. lift me up you know but yep. he literally grabbed hold of one leg and one arm and shot up to the top of this thing like he wouldn't believe like it was and spinning around the whole circle as it, as we went um, up and down about four times so yep. you know down to like the, the Mission Impossible thing that's six inches off the ground back up to about the five six metres off, off the ground and uh, mm. yeah it's pretty uh, like I said I like, a, I like some adrenaline stuff but that mm. that was pretty scary that was yep. uh, yeah 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 okay but yeah, my wife sort of jumped out of a plane before I don't think I'd ever do that but no. But I'm I'm keen to sort of do this and, and see what it's like. But yeah, um, do you think yeah, it's it good is. value for money? I reckon it is. I mean, you know, we always look at the um, the, the group on stuff. If you can get some yeah. some discount stuff, or you get extra extra time, which is pretty good. That's always a good good bit of value there. You know, um, but yeah, diving um, and uh, you know, I, I love diving. I reckon it's a um, it's a fantastic sport. I haven't done that many, but um, diving as in sort of scuba diving. diving yeah, yeah, yeah. So I've done a bit of snorkeling back in the day, but I can't say I've ever 
you know, got that uh, there, yeah. Yeah, I'm looking forward to doing a bit of, bit all over the world you know, as we go and we do a bit of travel. Um, but, um, yeah, it, it's sort of, uh, we went out and did Julian Rocks down at, down at Byron Bay the other day and you know, yep. sw- swimming with the grey nose sharks and they were about, a, you know, sort of eight and nine foot sharks and within yep. a metre away from you, you know. It's, um, yep. it's a bit... It's a bit unnerving when you when you first do it, yep. especially for a young kid who we used to do a lot of shark fishing when mm-hmm. I was younger. So <laughs> that was, um, mm. yeah, that was um, it was pretty cool. Yeah, enjoy. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So uh, I guess tell us about your current position with Tui Reed. What what sort of a Tui Reed getting up to? Tell us, tell the listeners, I guess, a bit uh, about how you sort of came into the role. I know it hasn't been too long, has it? And no, uh, no, quite a quite a quite a short period of time in, in the scheme of things maybe but it's um you know I suppose coming up near on five months now yep um and I I knew Steve Tui I've known him for a couple of years just through our yep. networks our friends mm-hmm. networks um and uh I was working for a software development company um uh, for 12 months and learned a lot about software development and software engineering um as a BDM yeah role. that was uh, my role after after leaving Epic um and did that for twelve months. There were some issues there with the with the um, with the way the company was being run, so uh, it wasn't going to be, you know, sustainable. Um, yep. I, and I was fortunate that I, got, I was given the heads up a little bit that you know mm. this was happening. So had an opportunity to talk, and, and you know, working within networks, and I suppose that's the that's the biggest thing is, and you know how it is, mate, with with working with networks. And if you never need anything, then it's time to call in call in favors and and sort of have a chat. Mm. You know, when you when you get to those sort of times. And I was fortunate enough. Um, Anthony Chu was—he's—he's uh, a, he's a good friend of ours, and he—he um, he knew of this opportunity with with Tui Reed. So mm. he had a chat to Steve, and and it was uh, one of those really um, nice interview times where mm. you <laughs> go and have a, a good chat with somebody, and mm. and it feels right. And and I think you know Steve's a good operator, mate. They've, they've been around. We just had our twenty-first birthday um, mm. a couple of weeks back, so. Um, you know the the business has been running um, with Steve at the helm for, for that long, so definitely uh, know exactly what what they're doing. Um, and um, you know our our customer base is based around the you know five to hundred mil turnover business, mm. um, doing a lot of um, tax planning, mm. risk mitigation, mm. um, structuring, corporate structure engineering is what they they're sort of mm. renowned for. Um, with a lot of family family businesses. Um, on board, yep. um, a bit of succession planning as well, helping helping the families with that mm. uh, as as the the parents either are retiring or, or you know moving on, yep. um, so uh, or, or selling, you know that, mm. that can be a big thing as well, um, as you know, and and looking to try and you know reduce that that tax and uh, is I think Kerry Pack has said it, you know that anyone that's paying paying more tax than they ha- they have to is a, is a, is an idiot you know and um, and why why are we given the the government don't know what to do with the money we give them why why we mm. tip more into it um, exactly. so so yeah I think you know that's that's one of the the biggest things there and um, you know just being able to be well ingrained in a business and knowing um, is probably Steve's forte is being able to be right right involved with those businesses and and know exactly you know th- these guys will come to him. Mm. With 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 family issues, or you know, he, he can he can um, he can hear about things mm. that are going to happen within a business yep. um, before other partners in the business will hear, or um, you know, um, family family members will know. Um, uh, it's uh, you know, it, 
been given power of attorney over for, for a lot of mm. some of these companies. So, you know, this is the sort of thing, I suppose. Is so I guess, I mean, what's it, what, I mean, obviously we're in a county practice here, but uh, what's it sort of like working with, with uh, I guess, in, in, the, in the sort of role that you've got there, you know, you know maintaining the relationships and, and, and obviously, uh, you know, keeping the clients... Uh, uh, in you know obviously connected uh, in such a way and looking obviously getting new business in mm-hmm. I mean in an accounting firm in t- in 2019 nearly 2020 yeah what tell, what are you seeing I mean what are you sort of seeing out there as far as um, I guess opportunities for accountants yeah oh look I think and and you probably agree with this too mate in, in what you see with with some of the um, some of the big four and the second tier accounting firms they're um, they're not proactive in coming to to their clients or their customers with unsolicited advice on on how to improve their business and improve their net wealth. Um, you know, they're they're more or less, I suppose, a um, uh, for want of a better way of saying it, a division of the ATO, um, and they're going through exactly, the practices. Yeah. You yeah. know, and I think I think you see that too because you're more specialised in what you do, and you've you you know what what. Steve tends to look at doing is thinking outside the box, different thinking, thinking outside the box, looking at things different ways, having a look at structures and see what can be done mm. rather than what can't be done. Yeah. And a lot of these these bigger bigger places are just they're sitting on their hands. And there's there's been a bit of an issue come up recently. I don't know if you saw that about the um, about the auditing um, with the uh, the big four and the the audit. Uh, charges they've got, but also the other services they're offering and how much they're getting on top of uh, in, in other areas, in other other service areas. Yeah. Um, and that's going to that's going to create a massive uh, doubt in the in the marketplace. And I think that's for specifically like us, that's that's a massive opportunity um, for us to to get in and and you know we don't want to we don't want to say that we're going to be cheap. But we're going to give good advice, yep. and we're going to give proper advice on on how to structure your business and mm. and you know proceed with um, increasing your, your your net wealth and protecting your assets, protect, and being there for you, having it all for your family. You know? mm. Yeah. Yeah. No. Well, I think I saw an article that you put up. Uh, um, I think in the last twenty four hours or so on on LinkedIn, which uh, just a bit of a quick chat. And we at uh, Confidential Tax, we've got probably about. Uh, 150 self-managed super funds that we look after. Yep. And obviously, you can imagine there's some LRBA clients, there's some clients with cash, you know, all the different types of self-managed super fund clients. But we received uh, quite a few letters um, in relation to you know having too much of a concentration of one asset class. Mm. Um, probably most of those letters were um, the LRBA type situation where the, that's the main asset in the fund. Mm. Uh, I guess what's your what what is sort of Tui read and what have you you've, you sort of put an article up there about this mm. and uh, um, saying that I guess you know in in a lot of instances the you know everything's sort of done above board when it comes to to um, your investment strategy anyway that you are sort of you know as a self managed super fund trustee at at the very least you're um, considering you know all the different asset classes but you just decided to, to either choose to go a particular way and in a lot of cases these letters are right yep. you know the, the fund is 90% there or, mm. or more in, in one asset class yeah and look I'll, I'll just yeah and as you you may you may 
be aware, mate. I, I'm not an accountant by no. any stretch of the means, no. but I, I think I know enough to be. Uh, yeah, so I know you can't dangerous. sort of. I can't. I know you can't sort of give specific <laughs> advice on that. Yeah, the the disclaimer. If you just put the disclaimer up there too, you know mm. that'll. No. But uh, it, you know, and I see what what happened there, and and with Steve in particular, you know, we we've had a um, a situation, and I think it's it's about. What Steve does is, in those sort of situations, he looks at a looks at a, um, an application of how he's going to structure something, and whether or not it's it's above board in his mm. mind, he will always then look at putting a, an approach to the ATO, yep. asking for permission rather than forgiveness, and and we've had that in situations, and this is something that's that's very close to his heart is that, um, you know, we've had private rulings from the ATO. Stating that that some of the strategies that he's used mm. um, are above board and they've been yeah. signed off yeah. and, and can be done. So, yeah. um, I suppose without sort of going into into huge detail of of you know um, the who's and what's and how's, but it, um, you know they've he's had a situation where he's even had a um, uh, a self managed super fund purchase a business an operating business in hospitality. Um, yep. And the the owner was over over sixty, so in pension phase, and um, uh, that business turned over a hundred thousand dollars a week, mm-hmm. and that owner paid zero dollars tax. Wow! Mm. And and that's now this has got a private ruling from the ATO. Mm-hmm. It's a tax ruling and a self managed fund ruling. Mm-hmm. to say that this can be done. Mm-hmm. So this is the sort of thing, and now this is not something that's going to apply to everybody, but it's the sort of way that things can be structured and the different thinking that goes on mm. that can then, you know, looking at situations, looking mm. at the whole of a, a person's um, yep. assets and and what's the best way to, to structure that to, to give them the best outcome. Yep. Um, he's not afraid of the ATO. He's, he doesn't like people giving their money to them. Yeah, you know? Fair enough. <laughs> Yeah, so um, yeah, it's interesting then that it's sort of playing in this space, and obviously previously, you know, Epic and you know, Epic's obviously that's quite, would have been quite different working to there, mm. working with those guys um, for a period of time, and obviously the other jobs that you've had as well. But um, it, it certainly you know, allowed you to, I guess, with this new role, you sort of see it as, as a bit of a challenge. I guess, what do you? In the top type of role that you, you you've obviously set some some goals and and you set some things that as you what you want to achieve uh, at Tui Reed. Um, so I, you know I um, I think you certainly you got the ability to be able to to be able to put something in place in that organisation that's going to you know make it continue to flourish and, mm. and that sort of thing. Yeah, thanks, mate. And, um, I, and I think it, and I really enjoy it, mate. It's mm. um, it's stepping back more into that corporate world, and I think. Yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes you have those little moments of self-doubt, um, like anybody does, uh, and uh, and I think you know whenever I've sort of questioned myself on that, I've always had a good bunch of people around that would sort of say to me that you know don't underestimate the what I have as a um, a relationship, um, mm-hmm. you know, and communicator. Um, you know, I, I I love talking to people, and I love being around you know groups of people mm-hmm. that. That are interesting and and give you a uh, like you say a bit of a challenge. So, mm. so the Valley Chamber of Commerce. How did, when did you sort of first become involved uh, in sort of going to events with the Valley Chamber of Commerce, and where do you see that? I mean, tell us a bit about your thoughts on, on the on the chamber. Why you enjoy the company and who you sort of um, you know forged some I guess some relationships with there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I I, I got into that when I was uh, first working um, with Epic. 
Um, and you know, you were saying earlier, Tim, that um, you know I listened to a few of previous podcasts, and and one of them, um, a good friend of mine, Gavin McInnes from AJ and Co Lawyers, um, you had him on uh, a few weeks back, and and I've known Gavin for about fifteen years. Yeah. Um, through through um, uh, relationship connections and. Uh, uh, so you know, he said to me one day, he said, "Mate, you know, no matter what happens, you and I are always going to be good mates." And and I think you know, it, it comes along that someone like that is almost better than a family member. You know, you you see them more often. And so he introduced me to the Valley Chamber, and uh, I just went along to a meet and mingle one night. And um, I think it so was, how long ago was the first one you went to? Do you think? Oh, that would have been in uh, probably. 2007, 2006, 2007, I reckon. So quite, a, you know, 11 or 12 years here we're talking about. Yeah, more. yeah. So a lot longer than, than uh, some people. I mean, even Murray's probably only been around that long, so. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he's been on the board for 10 years. Um, so, yeah, I think I think it's a very good executive. I think they work quite well together. Um, I think... Yeah, I think you're a good mate, Gavin, and also he's a you know, certainly a good mate of mine now. Um, he was one of the guys that actually introduced uh, me into the Valley Chamber, and mm. I sort of never looked back. Really, you know, from three or four years ago when yeah. I first went, went along to a lunch or a, then a meet and mingle. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think the lunches are very, very good value. You know, yeah. I, I, I think so too. I mean, Cloudland's certainly one of the best venues for it. Uh, they've got a really good system with Cloudland. Um, obviously, Howard Smith Wars now. That could be, you know, an ongoing sort of place that they go to, but you know, good new venues are always good to explore, and I think um, there's plenty of those around Brisbane, yeah. you know, South Bank, the the Valley, in in and around Bowen Hills, and and near the showgrounds. So, I think the the whole precinct is is, is getting a bit it's, it's wider and diverse, and I'm just seeing good things in the Valley mm. um, in the future, and I think um, I think the no one can really say anything bad about the Valley Chamber of Commerce as far as how it runs. It's 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 ran really well and they're very successful, I think. And you just need to keep sharing it out there and keep getting the people along because people that do go along do enjoy it. They do come back to the events. They yeah. do become members. Um, and I think also to bring bring other people into the mix too. You know, because there's a it's actually funny. There was a, um, a gentleman that I I had been sort of like um, trying to get in contact with and. Um, and I realised looking at some of the photos uh, from the Valley Chamber, the the last meet and mingle, and um, I saw this guy's face in, in a couple of the photos, and I, and, and didn't because there's so many people at the events, you know, you can't get around to everybody, and you know, like you know, sometimes it's, usually, it's, I mean, just a, it's 150 people plus you usually get yeah, at yeah. a meet and mingle or a lunch. Yeah, yeah, and so you know, and I and I, I was kicking myself a bit because I thought I oh, you know, would really like to have a chat to him and. Um, and I didn't actually see him, but you know that's probably a testament how how big those things are. Some you know where you can be in a room and uh, and you get caught up with talking to some mm. some new people, and but yet you you just sort of don't get around to everybody, you know. But um, certainly certainly got got some good sort of results and some good connections and made some really good friendships yep. out of it. And I think that's a key too is uh, is the friendships you make you yep. know, out of those sort of. Um, events. It's not all about just going and being the, the, the business card ninja mm. and throwing cards at everyone. And it's about actually um, meeting people and connecting and, and making long-term mm. um, relationships as well as doing the business. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah, great. So, um, I guess where do you see the rest of? Uh, I guess how far away do you see retirement in in reality? I mean, is that? <laughs> I'd, 
I'd like it to be five years away, but I, mm. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. And, and I suppose whether or not fate has it that, that I can do what I want to do and my wife would love to live overseas in one of the Asian countries, um, whether that's, uh, you know, a possibility and, uh, you know, I'd, li- I'd like to look at something like that. And, and I suppose just my biggest goal, mate, is to stay fit and healthy mm-hmm. and, um, and get enough you know, um, financial support or financial uh, setup behind me to, to be yep. able to do what we want to do and live live comfortably mm. um, in in wherever you choose to live, whether it be you know mm. uh, here in Australia or or overseas somewhere. Is this what places do you like to travel to overseas? Have you have you done much travel around the globe? And well, yeah. Look, when I when we were in two thousand and five, um, I had a um, bit of an opportunity to to go to the states and. And a friend of ours, um, her dad owns a, a restaurant in uh, Twin Lakes in Wisconsin. Yep. And he, I was, because I was running the Staff and Graduates Club and had that experience, he wanted me to come over and, and run this restaurant for him. And, um, you know, good money. He was a multimillionaire and uh, he was in the, the flavours industry, so doing flavours for lollies and yep. all that sort of stuff. Anyway, he sort of said, come over and come run this restaurant for us. So we looked into, um, my wife was, was only working part-time at the time and, and I um, had the opportunity, was just uh, in between jobs, and I thought, oh, you know, it's just to go and, um, uh, you know, just do have this opportunity and go over there and, and mm. see what we can do. And it was really hard to get the working visas, mm. um, which sort of held us up. And he, and he sort of said, oh, I'll come over anyway and, you know, we'll just pay you cash. Yep. And so I was a little bit gun shy with that because of the fact we don't know, you know. And, and also, I might add that we had a nine month old child at the time. Mm. And um, so that, that sort of, fell through and I said to my wife that you know we want to do a bit of travel and I said well why what's stopping us why don't mm. we you know we've got a couple of things we can sell we've got some cash behind us why don't we just get a round the world ticket and um, you know I've got my auntie who lives in England still we can go and see her and a few other people we've got friends in Chicago and, uh, and New York and my cousin lived over there in, uh, in um, Connecticut so we said well you get around the world tickets and um, we'll take the kid and, off and we'll go around the world and yeah. we sort of get five stops as you go if you keep going the one direction around. Um, so we, we just packed up and, uh, and we took off and we, we were overseas. We travelled the world for 11 months mm. um, with a nine month old baby um, in tow. So um, some amazing, I think we ended up in, we, we visited nine countries, mm. um, stayed, in, stayed with Marty in England for a while. Um, and. Uh, you know, just where wherever we sort of set up, mm. uh, we just did the internal flights from mm. there. So, um, with the with the round the world ticket, we we kept going in one direction, but then wherever we stopped, we could just do some internal flights. So, Italy, France, Spain, um, Amsterdam. Um, you know, we travelled all through um, through England and Wales. Um, and uh, my favourite spot to to actually go uh, and uh, and visit was uh, Egypt. Yep. Interesting. Egypt. Yeah. Now I spoke to someone recently who went to Egypt. Maybe it was actually it was Bev yesterday. So yeah, it was quite interesting that um, yeah, Egypt was what you know going to the Luxor. Did you get Luxor? Yeah, we stayed yeah. in Luxor, um, and then we um, and, and on the way over actually um, yep. we we caught up with this lady on the plane, and her daughter was an air hostess for Qantas, mm-hmm. and she was a um, a PA for yeah. the big big. Uh, director of mm. uh, the um, oh, the insurance company Lumley's General mm. Insurance, and so and she so we just got talking to her and she said um, I was at your first time and yeah well, we've never been there before and so well, she's actually got an apartment there and she goes mm. there every two weeks 
or for two weeks every yeah. every month. And um, she said, just hang out with us. We'll take you everywhere, show you, introduce you to some people. So yeah. um, managed getting a, an introduction to um, the, the general manager of the Egyptian American Bank. Um, wow. Yeah, her, her, her brother was a tour operator. So they organized a tour for us from Luxor to Cairo. <laughs> And um, and a and a and a one on one tour around the around the pyramids around the um, around the museum mm. um, went for lunch um, wow got got ingrained in some some pretty local local things yep um, ended up going to a um, a local bar uh, and uh, and and cafe at the end of the day and um, yeah it was amazing you know just to just to be ingrained and, and see some of that um, the very local stuff wherever you go mm. rather than just doing the normal touristy thing yeah. Mm. Yeah, so Egypt's interesting. Um, I guess uh, that one, one thing I guess with yourself, Nigel, is um, you obviously you certainly. Uh, I mean, from what I can, I, don't, I mean, I don't know a massive amount about you, but from what I can, uh, what I know about you is that you obviously helped quite a lot of uh, different organisations and business, um, you know, be able to succeed in, in a particular direction over time. Has I guess um, tell us about any. Uh, I guess experience that you sort of had when you when you either started your own business or was something you thought about or that sort of thing. Mm. Um, yeah, look, I years and years ago um, when, when I was very young, I suppose, and, and I worked for a company uh, as the same as the RACQ in Adelaide. It was the RAA um, Royal Automobile Association. Worked there for ten years. Did this ten year stint in insurance and yep. um, uh, you know, and just in the. the Admin sort of clerical sort of type of roles, and then went through into insurance and um, you know claims claims manager and things like that in, in the insurance side. Let's say you sort of know the Coopers through that industry. That's right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it was a funny story. Made work with Robert Cooper in, in Adelaide, and um, uh, I don't know. You could say I'd say thirty years ago. There's probably more. Um, <laughs> and um, and then came up to uh, so, so I don't know what what year that was. I finished there sort of late. Or early '90s, late '80s, and um, and then uh, moved up to Brisbane in '98. So uh, and then with got involved with the Valley Chamber of Commerce and and saw this this guy and uh, I thought he looked familiar and I thought oh you know he's changed a fair bit because he's been a lot older maybe. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, as we do, as we all do. But uh, as soon as I heard his voice and and then someone said his name's yeah. Robert and I said oh, it's Robert Cooper and. Anyway, so we, we sort of caught up and, and realised that we'd worked together in, yeah. in, in this place years and years and years before and uh, as young kids, you know, almost. So that, that was a trip down memory lane. Um, but when I, when I finished working there, I, my, my dad was a tool design engineer and um, he, um, he was almost like a draftsman, I suppose you would call it. And um, so in Adelaide, there was some, some pretty... Different businesses popping up and and few changes in there was the um, the hydroponics world um, mm. took off pretty pretty big down there for 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 reasons yeah. and um, and so the, the, I saw a, a friend of mine had a hydroponic shop and I saw this um, this need that they they were having to there's some filters that they had to use in the in the, the bottom of the plant pots and they they were sort of cutting them out of shade cloth material and so everyone would be you know get the shits with this because they'd have to cut them out and they'd have to do heaps of them and then replace them every time they changed it over and anyway so I sat there and I thought to my and I said to my dad is there a way we can make some sort of machine that would cut these things out and 
Mm. And so he went to his drafting board and within a couple of days had drafted up this um, incredible machine that would, mm -hmm. would cut these things out with my help, obviously telling him what we needed and sizes and things like that. Anyway, we he had a, uh, an engineering um, firm that um, could, could build this thing. So we built this machine. I think it cost me about 10 grand at the time, which is a fair bit of cash when you uh, sold a motorbike, I think, to, to pay for it. And built this machine and we just, <coughs> you would run through about three layers of shade cloth at a time and it was run by air, air operated with a um, with an airbag, and you just hit the two buttons, and and it would punch out, you know, uh, about eighteen of these these um, filters um, every couple of seconds. So, uh, and I was selling them to these shops. They had a bit of a lucrative little um, setup through Adelaide yep. um, with a few of the shops there, and I think they ended up. It was cost, cost price was about fifteen cents each. Yep. and I was selling them wholesale to the shops for about a dollar twenty, yep. and selling thousands at a time, um, yep. and, it, and it literally, you know, would take me um, minutes to produce them. So, mm -hmm. so ran that on for a, for a, a couple of years, and, and made enough to get a house deposit and replace the motorbike, and mm. um, and then on sold the business. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's probably my claim to fame as a starting up a manufacturing business of my own. Yep, when I was around sort of uh, twenty years old. Mm, wow, there you go. Yeah. Excellent, mate. So I think we're just a new bit running out of time, actually. It's been going for 40-odd minutes. Yeah, 45. And a half a can of uh, Coke Zero. Half a can of Coke Zero. But uh, no, it's been... Thanks for agreeing to come on the podcast, Nigel. It's been great to have you on as a guest. Um, thanks, It's Tim. obviously good to hear people's stories. Everyone's got a different story. It's great to be able to project that and make sure you want to do upload it, uh, share it around. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, yeah keep sharing everything around so um yeah and no, that's been great Any, anything final before we sort of finish up there um no mate i, I just thank you yeah thanks for the thanks for your time tim and the, and the opportunity to come and come and have a chat mate and i think yep. sometimes you don't really you know a lot of people say that you know the best stories you when you're talking about something you're talking about yourself and yeah i suppose having someone like yourself made that asks those those questions yep. draws out all those things and you, you realise then, you know, you, how diverse your life is and what you've done in the yep. times, and um, you know, maybe somebody gets something out of it, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's well worthwhile. So yep. um, yeah, really appreciate it. Really appreciate your time. No, no worries at all. Thank you very much. And uh, that's been from the Valley Podcast today. Thank you very much, and uh, see you soon.